Amen. Amen. Good to see everyone. Good morning, church. Good morning. Great to see everyone today. I uh, hope you're excited to be here every Sunday at SCAC. It's just a joy, delight, especially if you're new. want to welcome you, and we're, we're glad you're here. We have like a Bible study uh, afterwards that you're invited to and get to know people as well. Uh, this is my third Sunday back, I think it is, my third Sunday back so from sabbatical, and so things move super, super, super fast. Uh, on the fourth day back from sabbatical, I found out I'm going to China, okay? So if you remember back in January, we had Luke and Amy Wong come and visit us and tell us about the work they're doing in, uh, in China, okay? <laughs> I think I can't say the city. Anyway, it's on the East Coast somewhere, but uh, Pastor Chan and I will both be going. Now, we've actually sent a couple of teams, a couple of people from, I think one person at least from the English ministry and then so, uh, a couple of people from the Chinese ministry. They've already been. So Pastor Chan, who's the lead pastor of the Chinese side, how many of you knew that? Okay, a couple of you now you know, all right? Pastor Chan, lead pastor of the Chinese ministry. He's going to be there, and I'm also joining him. Uh, Dillis will also be there, his wife. You guys know Dillis? Everyone know Dillis? Who knows Dillis? All right, good. Okay, a lot of heads. Okay, uh, one thing too, I don't know if you guys know, but you know, okay, a lot of you know that Dillis had cancer like over the past like two years. So in her, what her latest scan, completely cancer-free. Completely <laughs> cancer-free. So awesome, so awesome. So praise God, praise God. So she's, she's going on the trip. They're actually in Hong Kong right now celebrating her, it's like Dillis' mom's 90th birthday, somewhere around there. But anyway, you know, a really big deal. But anyway, we're going to join him. And so uh, definitely if you could pray for me, all right, so I'll be gone from November 6th uh, through the 13th. So it's coming up. It's like next week. And so you guys will be, at least you'll be up here. You guys will commission me. It'll be awesome. But if you could pray for me during that time, it's going to be amazing. Uh, Pastor Chan, uh, pray for him too. And, and Dillis, Pastor Chan, I found out, he's going to be teaching on, like, dating. Okay? Uh, if you get on, guys, no, I'm not saying anything bad, but Pastor Chan, he's kind of old, okay? <laughs> he's kind of old. And so I, I really wish I understood Cantonese and Mandarin because I just want to sit in his dating class and figure out how, how, did, you, how did you do it. That would be so awesome. That would be so great. But, yeah, pray for us as a team. We're going to be gone November 6th with, uh, through the 13th. In, uh, so for the next three Sundays, I've asked a really good friend of mine. Uh, I know you guys like Paula Rose, but there's this other really great guy. His name is Ed Choi. Ed Choi, he's Korean, okay? And he has, uh, he's been the pastor for the last maybe five or six years. He was the pastor at Rainer Valley Church, which used to be uh, one of the satellite churches of Mars Hill when that all kind of, you know, went away. That church tri remained. So he was the pastor there, Ed Choi. He's a really good guy, Korean guy. And before that, he was actually a army chaplain. And he has some just amazing stories too. I mean, he, he has, I don't want to say, he has PTSD and, and I mean, he got hit by an IED and, and, in a convoy that, that he was in. And so he just has an amazing testimony. He loves Jesus. He just loves Jesus. So you guys, he'll be preaching for the next three Sundays. He's continuing in our series through Romans, and he's just a really great guy uh, to continue that series. So it's going to be really exciting, and you don't want to miss that. Sound good? Okay. All right, one last thing. I know there's a lot of announcements, but um, when it comes to missions, and one of the reasons why, you know, Alicia came up here and talked about we have this missions kind of a shortfall, all right, $60,000. Now, one of the things that's kind of confusing about our church and maybe Alliance churches in general is that a lot of times when you are giving your tithe, a lot of times you think, oh, when I'm giving my tithe, like all of it is going to the general fund, which it is, 
But we also think the general fund probably includes missions as well, right? So we think, oh, I'm giving my check. This money is going, right, to the general purposes of church and ministry and things that we do. But it's also going to mission, like our mission fund. Well, guess what? It doesn't. It doesn't, okay? We actually have, like, a separate fund for missions. So that's why if you could take this out, if everyone could take this out, it'd be really helpful. Everyone take this out. It's in front of you, all right? And what you'll see is that if you just put a check in here when you do your offering, if you just do a check and you don't write anything on here except for your name or something like that, all of this, 100% of this goes to the general fund. And then do you see on this, this right column, not the Chinese part, but the middle, uh, the middle column, you see all those fundings? Your check, your general check will not go into any of these. So you're not, when you go in, when you put that check in, if you don't label that you actually want to support these things, that means that missions fund, that's the number one thing on there besides you know, general fund. The missions fund, none of it goes towards foreign missions. None of it's going towards IRIS. None, none of it's going to the different nonprofits and entities that SCAC supports. Uh, Elevate Humanity Fund, okay, you guys know that one. None of it goes into their building fund, benevolent fund. And then the seminary scholarship one, that's a huge one. Because we have John G, we have uh, Jessica Lau, uh, we have Serena Lee. We have three people going to seminary. And seminary is not cheap, all right? But if you're just donating to the general fund and you think, oh, all, it's all going to like, you know, it's going to Jessica, it's going to John, it's going to Serena, it's going to all, it, it doesn't, it doesn't. It's actually split up into these different funds. And so you actually have to designate. So let's say, for example, if you're tithing, and let's say you donate a $500 check. All right. If you want a portion of that money to go to missions, then just put like 100. If you just put 100, then our treasurer will know that 400 will go to the general fund, and then 100 will go to the seminary scholarship. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. It needs to be really clear. Okay. Let me give you um, uh, a like a, I, I don't know a standard or or suggestion. Okay. Of what to do normally in your tithe. All right. I would say to give. Uh, in your tithe, set aside within your tithe. I'm not, we're not asking extra, but within your tithe, give maybe 15 to 20 percent to missions every time you tithe. Does that make sense? Okay, that will help out in our missions budgeting as well. Does that make sense? Because I know that you want to give to mission, and a lot of you probably thought I I was giving to mission, but we weren't. I didn't. I kind of I kind of knew I didn't know either. I've been here 15 years, right? Kind of bad. Sorry, sorry. But anyway. Uh, my suggestion to you is to give about 15 to 20 percent of your normal tithe, however you do it, and give that to missions uh, each week. And then as the Spirit leads, if you want to give more or if you want to say to our church, yeah, I want to give a certain amount to the seminary scholarship fund as well. I want to give 5 percent or 10 percent of that to the seminary scholarship fund each week or to the Elevate Humanity Fund or church planting or others. Okay? I hope that makes sense. Uh, I know it's been confusing in the past, but it'll just really help us and it'll really help you to know where where your money is, is going, what it's going to support for the kingdom. Amen? Amen? Okay, great, great. All right, we are in the third week of Romans, and uh, you can turn to Romans chapter 3 in your Bible. Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, okay, it's right there. Romans chapter 3. And just to summarize... We'll summarize what we went through last week. Okay, we'll summarize by first doing this, just by a show of hands, all right? Who would admit that I am ungodly? 
that I am unrighteous. Okay, just raise your hand if you're ungodly and righteous. Who would admit that I'm a sinner? All right, a lot of people, a lot of people. So just go ahead and turn to your neighbor real quick. Just say, you're a sinner. All right, it's okay. Just, you just tell the person, okay? All right, great. Just one person, just one person, not, not your whole row. Okay, I know, I know. I know there's temptation to do that, but just, just one person. Okay, so what does Paul do? Paul has taken this, these first three chapters, and he took this broad swath of humanity, and he's looked at the golden, right? We talked about the super-religious, and saying even the super-religious cannot obey their own laws. And then he took a look at the ungodly, and the ungodly, well, they're just ungodly, right? And then he takes a look at the, the good or the moral people, and he says, which might be a lot of us, and he says, well, even you good people, you, you judge how, how bad, how evil the, uh, the, the golden people are, and how bad the uh, uh, ungodly are, and yet you too have hypocrisy, and you too do evil things, and God doesn't even condemn and judge people as harshly as you do, and so we're all under this umbrella that all have sinned, all have fallen short, and we left with the question last week, so what do we do? What do we do, right? Because we have this big problem. Paul came to this final conclusion that no one is righteous, no one does right, no one follows after God. We have this fatal flaw called sin, right? So we define it sin, in Greek is harmatia. It means to miss the mark, to fall short, to make a mistake. And it's interesting because when we think of sin, usually in our day, it has this connotation of guilt. But back then, sin just is just a very, you know, in a, in a sense, a cerebral word. It just means you missed the mark. You just fell short. You made a mistake. Who is the standard then? God was the standard of righteous. We just don't act like God. We just don't measure up in any way. Now, when we left off last week, we talked about this and that this was the problem with us. It's not just that we sin, but it's a nature of sin, right? So for some of you, especially if you've never been to church before, if you're kind of trying to figure out Christianity for the first time, this actually made either kind of a lot of sense or at least it really piqued your interest. Why? Because you know that although you may not be a religious person, you've been wondering what's wrong with you. Th there's some of you throughout your life, like you, you got that self-help book because you couldn't control yourself because you were trying to understand what is wrong with me. There may be some of you who have spent hundreds, maybe even thousands of dollars going to a professional counselor or a psychologist because you have been trying to figure out how come I can't fix me. And so now that you know, at least from a Christian perspective, like what does, what do Christians believe? What does the Bible teach about what is wrong with us? And so the Bible nails it where it just says it comes down that there's something fundamentally wrong with your heart and in your mind, and it's called sin. And every single one of us, we can all admit that we're sinners. Every single one of us could all admit that there's something fundamentally wrong. It's kind of like in those moments where you walk away from a conversation, you say, man, I can't believe I said that to her. Like, what is wrong with me? I can't believe I, I spoke so many to him. What is wrong with me? I can't believe I said that thought out loud, right? What is wrong with me? I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I had this thought where I wish this per person didn't exist. What is wrong with me? I can't believe I was so jealous. How come? I can't believe, I can't shake this temptation. I told myself I wasn't going to look at that. I wasn't going to go there. I wasn't going to call her up. I was going to do, I told myself I wasn't going to do that, but I did. How come I can't even control myself? What is wrong with me? I can't control my mouth. I can't control my anger, my libido. Man, what is wrong with me? And so now you know what's wrong. Now you know what the problem is. What the Bible talks, it's 
sin? And so Paul left us with that question, right? What do I do? What do I do? Now, the words that we're about to dive in today are some of the most powerful words ever written just anywhere, just anywhere, all right? It's probably, it's just one of the most powerful words, just any, anything, anything that's ever written. At the same time, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, right? Some of the words that we're going to read are some of the most confusing words ever written, okay? But in church, in the Bible, we don't like to words, use that word confusing. We don't like to say the Bible's confusing. What do we say? We say it's deep, right? It's deep, okay? So we're going to read some of the most powerful words ever written anywhere and theologically deep words ever written anywhere. So to summarize it for you, because, you know, as I've tried to, go through this i mean it is it's you could just go down a lot of rabbit trails but let me just summarize it for you where this message is going all right in answering that question of what do i do with this problem of sin and for some of you man i it's it's you're you're just tracking with this because you feel it it's like you want to know because you a lot of times you you don't even feel like you're in control of your life because of sin three things okay you can't do anything about your sin you can't do anything about your sin. You can't work out of it. You can't bargain out of it. You can't plead. You can't control. You can't maintain. You can't do anything about your sin. Number two, you are completely powerless to live a righteous, holy, and just life. It's like we want righteousness. We demand righteousness from our world. We demand righteousness for others, but even ourselves. We cannot live. We are powerless to live a truly righteous, just, and holy life. Lastly, number three, is only through faith, it's only through faith in Jesus Christ that you can be free from the power of sin. It's only through faith, through belief in things that you cannot see, that you cannot feel in Jesus Christ that you can be free from the power of sin. Okay, you guys ready to go? You guys get ready to deep dive? Okay, amen? All right, what do we do? So here we go. Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 21. Paul says this, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify, to which we immediately say, okay, that's really not confusing. That's really deep, right? Okay, what is he talking about there, right? Apart from the law, what does that mean? What is he talking about, apart from the law? Well, Paul's talking to a general audience. Remember, he's talking to the church in Rome. He's talking to the religious religious Jewish people who live by a set of laws. Now, one thing you'll notice in your NIV, if you're using your NIV, he says that apart from the law, and it's a lowercase l, and then to which the law and the prophets testify, that's an uppercase l, all right? So when the Bible uses lowercase l versus an uppercase l, the law and the prophets, uppercase means the Old Testament or the Ten Commandments, referring to one of those. But when it uses a lowercase l, it's just saying the laws that we generally live by. So he's speaking to a broad audience and saying, okay, the Jewish people live by certain laws, whether it's religious laws or kind of moral laws. And then he's also talking to the Greeks and the Romans, saying you also live by your religious laws or your kind of standards of morals. Apply that to us today as Christians. We also, some Christians, live by laws. Just like we just have to pray more, we have to do more, and that's what it means to be a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you also live by a set of laws. You may not have a book for it. You may not have a God that you worship. But you have, even in your own mind, a set of laws that you live by. So Paul is saying this. He's saying, apart from the law, apart from this, this normal go-to way that, that people live 
that we have this set of rules that we follow, the righteousness of God has been made known, okay? So we know that the righteousness of God is the character and nature of God. So, again, because of our sinful nature, that we can't even keep by our own standards, it's only logical that you would ask, all right, since we all have a sin problem and we don't have the power to follow the rules, then what do I do? What do I do? And Paul's answering that question head on. He's saying, look, you are used to living by laws. You're li used to living by doing certain things. You think you can please God. And Paul's saying, apart from the law. In other words, I'm not here to give you version 2.0 of laws. You have version 1.0, and maybe it filled you with guilt, and you were trying to do things, but you could never. Paul is saying, I'm not here to give you a better set of laws to live by. He's saying, I'm doing something completely, totally different God has done. Apart from the law, move the part of the law aside. I'm taking you down this thing of righteousness, this gift of righteousness. So the righteousness of God has been made known. He's saying something new about the righteousness of God, which is, again, we've been going through that for the past three chapters. Apart from the law, so it's, I'm not giving you another law. I'm not giving you a new set of rules to live by. That's not what Christianity is. The righteousness of God has been made known. So something new, something different that's never been seen before about God's righteousness is being done, okay, to which the law and the prophets testify, meaning, meaning it's the Old Testament, okay, is pointing to this righteousness that's to come, all right? This is so powerful. Verse 22, this righteousness of God is given. Given. Whoa. This is so powerful. The righteousness of God, meaning that God in its nature, and that God always does what's right in its nature, it, it's given. He didn't say to who yet, but <laughs> a big thing question is, how is it given? It's given. Verse 22, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. So God is giving away, listen to this, guys. God is giving away his righteousness. It's not something that you can grasp on and get yourself, but God is going to give away his righteousness, his very nature. He's imparting his righteousness to who? It's the rest of the verse. To all who believe. Now, if we were an African-American church, we, there'd be some amens and hallelujahs here. Amen? Amen. God is doing something completely, completely different. It's not a new set of laws, a new set of, a new rule book that, that Paul is giving. He's saying there's a completely different way that you're to live. It's through this righteousness that we're trying to get. God is somehow, he's imparting his righteousness. He's giving it to anyone who would believe, who would have faith in Jesus Christ. So God's righteousness is given to you as a gift when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this is huge. This is so important. Because when you look at almost every major religious system, in fact, or, or minor, I can't even think of any other religious system, that, that works like this. Because usually, religious systems work like this. Someone had a set of laws, a book, or some rules, and they, they gave it to people. And what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to work really hard at following them. When you mess up, you try harder, and you work your way back. If you don't do the work, there is an eternal, uh-oh, okay? That's what happens. I'm not saying that all religions are the same, okay? 
If you have studied religion, you'll see that there's a lot of distinctives, and we should respect those distinctives, okay? But in general, they work like this, where there's a set of rules that you've got to follow, and when you mess up, you've got to work harder. And if you don't do that, and we want, just want to be better and better at working at it and doing the rules, and if you don't do the rules, there's an eternal, uh-oh. Christianity does not work like that. Now, for some of you who are Christians, have been Christians for a long time, you're like, wait, I thought Christianity worked like that. Uh-oh, okay? <laughs> Christianity does not work like this. This is not the pattern that Jesus had set forth, okay? But Paul says, look, people can have all these laws, you can make all these rules, and, and even if you're not religious, you have a law for yourself, even those things that you can't keep, the standards and, and things like that. You can't do anything about your sin. You can't be perfect. You can't follow these things perfectly. Nobody can. You can't work. You can't plead. You can't bargain. You can't control anything about your sin. So instead of working your way up the spiritual ladder to perfection, to nirvana, whatever it is, Paul says, look, all of that is impossible. God in his love came down to impart his righteousness to you why? Because he loves you and he knows that you can never achieve that righteousness on your own. Now, there's going to be pushback at this moment because you're going to be like, well, I've been a Christian a long time or I just became a Christian or something like that. You're like, I don't feel righteous. I don't feel, I don't, you know, you're saying it happened to me, but I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel it. Well, just because you may not feel something is true of you, doesn't mean it's not true of you. You know, I've done so many weddings, right? I've done about, I think I counted um, uh, lately like 30, 30 some weddings, all right? And nine out of 10 people of the couples, we always have kind of a get together afterwards. Nine out of 10 times, the couple will say, will ask like, hey, how you guys doing? You know, how, how you guys feeling? Nine times out of 10, the couple always says, nothing's changed. It feels, it just feels normal, you know? We just go home together now, that's it. We just drive home in the same car, right? I mean, just nine times out of 10, the couple says, it's just no different. We just feel the same. And that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing, it's a healthy sign, all right? But think about it. Something fundamentally has been given to you. Something, you have entered fundamentally into a brand new type of relationship. Not only legally, not only legally have you been bound together, but here's a big one spiritually, right, you've been bound together. How does it feel like to be married? I don't know. It's kind of the same. I don't really feel it. You may not feel it, but it's true of you, right? You may not feel it, but it's true of you. How many of you have ever been promoted or given a position at work or title that you feel like I'm totally, completely under, like, it's way above me. I don't deserve this title. It's way above my pay grade. Anyone? Right? So I remember just for me when I was, um, working for the Navy, my first job was an electrical engineer. And within two years, this was during the Clinton years, okay? In two years, uh, we were going through a, a huge reduction in force, a RIF, okay? And what happened was that all, I had about three or four senior engineers above me, all in the line. Now, I was the new guy and the new kid on the block. I needed to just, there's no way I could get another job. There was like a hiring freeze, and there's no way I could get another job. The other guys, though, because they had the experience, they could find jobs elsewhere. But for me, just graduating from college, I'm just trying to get enough experience in one place as much as I can. In two years, all of those guys found other jobs. 
right? There's about three or four level manager abo above me. In two years, so every time they left, guess who got promoted? Yeah. So in two years, after three or four managers leave, guess who's the senior engineer? <laughs> what? You want me to do what? <laughs> right? So even though I did not, you know, did I deserve it? No way. You know, was I qualified? No way. It's scary how unqualified I was. I didn't feel like a senior engineer, but it's true. It's the title they gave me. Now, in the chapters ahead, Paul is going to teach on what this truth, the implications of this truth. In the next about four chapters, he's going to teach on the implications of this reality of the righteousness of Christ actually being imparted to you. So we're going to so stick with the series, but you at least need to know the truth of this. You may not feel that the righteousness of Christ has been imparted to you, but it has. It's true. So it's been given to us. Paul goes on to say, look, we all need this righteousness. We all need it to cover us. He says there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we just, to that, we just say amen to, I'm a sitter. Everyone's a sitter. Everyone. Even the sweet, my sweet grandma, she's 95 years old, and she moves around really slow. Even she's a sitter. She just sins slower than you, okay? But when she was your age, she was sitting left and right just as fast as you do, okay? Just guarantee it, all right? All have sinned, and then verse 24, and all, that's all of us, are justified freely. What does that mean? Justified means just that the people that God has said are righteous, that you've been declared righteous, that's what it means. It's, it's like it's past tense, that you've already been declared righteous. That's what it means. You were justified freely. You were declared righteous by God freely, by his grace. That means grace means his gift. And so the question is this, right? Just logically. I've been given the, the righteousness of God. God's already declared me as righteous freely as a gift. How? H how did he do that? How, how could God say that? Well, Paul continues the rest of the thought. He says, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So somehow, Jesus Christ did something he, he moved something. He did something so that the righteousness of God could be imparted to me. And Paul sees that for those who believe, it's like a past tense. Like you're declared, you've been, you've already been declared righteous. So that big word in there, which we need to just look at a little bit, is that word redemption. Redemption. God did some redemptive work. We've got to figure out what that means. What, what was this redemptive work that he did? Now, redemption has two nuances of meaning. In the religious sense back then in the first century, it just means deliverance. You were delivered, all right? But it also had a secular connotation that was also very similar. So in the Roman and Greek culture, there was actually a lot of slavery. It's a, it's a different kind of slavery from the, you know, 17th, uh, you know, 18th century uh, United States, okay? A little bit different. But the point is still is that when you got into debt or if you were captured into slavery, you were a piece of property, and you had to work your way out. You had to pay off that debt by doing work. And that was the only way that you could be free from your master. Okay? 
And so a lot of people actually, because their debt was so, so great, was so big, it was just their, their lifetime, their whole life, their whole family, their children would also still be into slavery, paying off that debt. Now, there was something, if you were maybe a rich, a wealthy person, and maybe you had, you know, business dealings with a slave, and you liked a particular slave, and you had some, some mercy, what you could do is you could find out who, that sla- who the slave owner was. You could find out how much debt this person owed the owner. And what you could do is through a process of redemption, through a process of redemption, you could strike a deal with the owner, and you could pay off all of the debt that that slave owned so that you could own that slave. No, no. You paid off all of that debt out of your love, out of your generosity, out of your philanthropy, philanthropy, whatever it might be. And this slave got to be set free. Not your slave. No, this person was free, just like you. And that process was called redemption. So when you hear that word redemption, so in the first century Greek mind, it would have been both this idea, this religious idea of deliverance, but then the idea that someone somehow paid off your debt so that you could be set free. Amen? Amen. You guys get the picture, right? So God's redemption is our deliverance from the power and debt of sin. Amen? Amen? Okay. One way just to make it clear, all right? It's kind of an old illustration, but you guys get this, all right? What's this? Credit card, okay? Now, this credit card is not my credit card, all right? Because there's a bunch of ungodly ungodly people in here. Someone might take it, and I'll be off the hook, all right? But this is actually the church's credit card. So if you do steal this, you're stealing from God, right? Just to let you know, all right? Now, how does this work? How does this work? I summarize how this works, okay? Enjoy now, pay later. That's how I summarized how this works, okay? Enjoy now, you got to pay later, okay? Does that make sense, right? We all know how this works, all right? So I- if you have this, okay, you know, that, that's what you do. You just put the charges on here so you can enjoy things, and then at the end of the month or whenever it is, you, you have to pay for it. You, you have to make up for it, okay? Now, imagine, imagine that every time that you sinned, and everyone has one of these, by the way, Imagine that every single time you sin, there is a, or there's a beep or whatever. Yeah, that's old school, man. That is, that shows my age right there. There's a little beep, okay? You put your phone up to the thing and you did your touch ID, okay? Every time you sin, imagine it was recorded here. And at some point in the future, you need to pay it back. You need to pay it back. So it's like this. You gotta, one of the reasons you, you got to know you got to pay it back is because God is a God of justice. And we, in our hearts, we want justice too, don't we? If, in fact, if there's anything about the United States, it's all about our rights, our First Amendment rights or Second Amendment rights or the right to own this or right to, a right to free speech. Whenever someone does something wrong against you, don't you just demand that there is something that they do in return? Don't you just demand that they say sorry? Don't you just demand that they do what, some, you know, if they did something wrong to make it up, right? Especially if it's done, especially if it's done to you. And whenever there is some type of crime, when someone gets away with something, 
We want them to get caught. We want them to serve the time. Any wrong, any injustice that's done, where there's any, some sin left unpunished, some sin that was left uncovered, some sin that was unatoned for, unatoned for means to make it right. If none of those things ever get addressed, that sin where there wasn't a payback for it, what do we yell at? We just say, that's not fair. And there's a lot of ways that you and I, that we've been hurt, and there's a lot of ways that you've hurt people. And you've said those same things. You did this something to someone or someone did something to you, and you were like, that's not fair. That is wrong. And even in our own language of this idea that there needs to be a payback, right? If you do something wrong, and you or you see a friend do something wrong, you're like, man, that's messed up. And you go to your buddy and say, you know what? You owe her an apology. You owe, that, that word, you owe, you got to pay back. You owe, this is right. You got to atone for that. You got to make up. You owe your work, your boss, an apology. You owe that group of people. You need to make it up because you owe them. You got to pay off that debt for what you did. See, God, then if God is a righteous God, then God, too, demands righteousness. He demands justice. And in fact, if you read enough scripture, you know that God is a just God and that at the very end, there is great justice. Now, I know you're going to push back because you're going to say, well, if God is a God of justice, how come we don't see a lot of justice in the world? Okay, and let me just read this to you really quick. Doesn't answer everything, all right? Because that's a great, that's a big question. But if you read the rest of, of chapter three, let me go down to... Um, Verse, okay, verse uh, 25. Okay, it says, God presented Christ as sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to, receive by f- to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his, here it is, in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. You get that? God left a lot of sins unpunished. Think about it like this. The reason why there's not all this justice, like immediate justice, like we always, if God is is in control, if God's a God of justice, look, if God exacted justice every single time that we sinned, every single time someone just did something horribly wrong, there's some things that are really horrible, if God exacted justice immediately in that moment, a lot of us wouldn't be here. (laughs) All right? A lot of us just wouldn't be here. But what God does is in his patience, in his patience, we don't know how it all works, okay, but in his patience, he leaves a lot of sin. It's just on that debt card, okay? But at some point in the future, but he has a lot of patience with you because he loves you. He wants every single person to know this righteousness. He gives us so much time to know this righteousness. He sends us out as a church to go on mission to teach people about this righteousness so that they can have it too, okay? So that's what it is. Now, here's what it is, okay? We all demand righteousness. Here it is. When we, though, when things are turned, when we sin against others, we we want righteousness, you know, when someone sins against us, like we want it quickly. Apologize to me. But when we do wrong against others, do you ever notice, it's interesting, we're so slow. I mean, we're really slow in saying sorry, aren't we? 
you know, we think about, I don't want to say sorry. I mean, I know he did something wrong, but my pride gets in the way, and I, you know, I don't want to be humble and stuff like that. And it just stays on the credit card. And as the guilt goes and goes, and then, you know, that, that's the interest rate that gets piled on, okay? And at some point in time, that thing that you did wrong, you didn't apologize for, that was like months ago. That was a year ago. And all that guilt that you had, you're just going to stuff it down somewhere. I'm not going to think about that anymore, right? Even the other person's like, where's my apology? Oh my gosh, I'm so hurt. Like for you, it just doesn't matter anymore. It's still on the card. And interest is accruing, okay? Now, for this, what happens, let's get back to money terms. What happens if you're so in debt, you've enjoyed so much, okay, of the, the, the finer things in life? What happens when the debt gets so big so enormous and then you got college debt too right you went to uh, a, a nice private school you got 100k you got 200k right <laughs> I mean, you get all this debt what do you do you can't pay it off you're thinking in my whole lifetime i probably can't pay off what do you do mom and dad right you call mom and dad right mom and dad i need some help okay right that's what you do right now that's true now um if you don't have mom and dad, if mom and dad can't help you pay this off, what do you do? It's death, right? It's fiscal death. You have to do some extreme things. You may have to, like, things like declare bankruptcy, and I don't know what all that means, but I know your credit score goes, goes down, and you can't, um, you know, you can't get a house. You can't buy a house, you can't purchase a car, you can't get a loan, you have to ask people for money, you got to move back in with your parents. You are so far in the hole that it will take decades before you even see the light, all right? So what happens with this? What if you can't pay your spiritual debt? What if you can't pay your spiritual debt? Mom and dad can't help you either, all right? If you can't pay your spiritual debt, then you experience a spiritual death. A spiritual death. Just like there's a fiscal death, there's a spiritual death, which is separation from God. None of us can pay off our sin debt. We just can't. But God paid our sin debt. He paid this off through the redemption, the atonement, that came by Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do? Verse 25, it says that God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. In other words, he's the one who made it right. He's the one who paid off the debt through his sacrifice. Sacrifice of what? Through the shedding of his blood. That means Christ literally died. There's a spiritual death that we all, because we could not ever pay this back, and God said, I'm going to redeem. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to purchase you out of the slavery that you were under. I'm going to purchase this out because no one else can do it except for God. And so I'm going to die in your place. I'm going to purchase you out because all of that debt of sin is crushing you, is controlling you. You have no joy. And I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to save you from that through his death on the cross. And that's why every church has a cross. Through the shedding of his blood, Jesus died on the cross for you once and for all to pay off all of your debt, not just the debt that you did in the past, uh, the sin that you had in the past. It's your sin in your present and your sin in your future. That's how powerful the blood of God is, the blood of Christ is. 
And he did that one time. He did that for all people, for you, for you, for you, for you, for you. He did that for all people to pay off your debt of sin so that whenever God sees you, he doesn't say, sinner. He doesn't say, oh, man, you owe me. You owe this person. No, God says, forgiven. Why? Because that debt has been erased. So that every time he sees you, he sees the righteousness of God. Because it's through the blood of Jesus Christ that God's righteousness was imparted to you. Amen, church? I hope that makes sense. And for some of you who are Christians for a long time, it's okay if you feel like that was really clear. Like, I hope so, okay? But it's okay to say that was really clear. Like, for the first time, I think I really understand what actually Jesus did for me. Because sometimes these deep theological truths, deep theological truths, sometimes we just, as pastors and Sunday teachers, we just summarize them, you know, because they're, it takes a lot of explanation. Paul's 15 chapters of explanation of the gospel, okay? You know, but sometimes we just say things like, yeah, Jesus died, to, and, uh, Jesus died for you so that you might have eternal life. I mean, it's, it's a great, succinct sentence, but there's so much under that. People are like, what? What does that mean? And Paul's explaining here what exactly that means, that somehow the blood of Christ, the blood of God was so powerful that he actually erases, he atones for all the sin that you, that you, no matter how hard you say sorry, how many times you say sorry, and you guys know, and I know too, that there have been people, there have been ways where I've sinned, where I've hurt people in my life so badly that it doesn't matter how many times I say sorry. It doesn't matter how much money I give. It does not matter how much work I could do. I could never make up for some of the things that I've done to, done to people, no matter how hard I try. And the only person that can free me from the weight and the guilt and the penalty of sin is through faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. And this church, you need to know, this is the particular distinctive of what it means to follow Jesus. Every other religious system is going to tell you, you just got to work harder. You got to pay your dues. You got to work, work, focus, meditate, memorize. You got to sacrifice your way and you'll become like God. You have to do everything you can to reach up and work, work, work so that you can be like God. Mm-mm. Christianity works exactly the opposite way. You could never work your way up. God had to come down to rescue you, to save us, to redeem us from the slave master of sin. And we receive God's grace, not by working more, not by working harder, being better. It's a gift that we receive solely through faith. Faith is believing in things that are, you cannot see, that you cannot touch. It is believing that Jesus Christ died for you, that his blood spiritually somehow just, it's, it's true. It's not just this, you know, it's not like a nice like thought to have, that you appropriate his blood, that it washes away all of your sin because of his atoning death on the cross. And all it requires of you is faith. It's faith. It's not working harder. It's just faith it's a gift to be forgiven because God knows that you can't work your way up. It's faith to have the debt erased and you're declared righteous before God. That is some good, good news. Amen, church? It is good, 
news. And we need it. And there's some of you, you feel that sin and you, you, you just, you're, you're perplexed and you're, you're anguished because you realize that sin has this amazing, not amazing, but horrible, it's a nightmare, control over your life. And the only thing that for can forgive you and to break that power, that grip over you, so that something better <laughs> can be in control, it's only through faith in Jesus Christ. Worship team, if you guys can, can come up. So if you have, if you have one of these, okay, then every month, every month, um, you get one of these, right? You have one of these, right? Every month, you get one of these, okay? Now, someone spent a lot on here. I don't know who did that. Steve, Tongue, man, you guys are messed up. Okay, anyway, <laughs> um, if you have, when you get one of these, right? Now, you got to pay back. Enjoy now. You got to pay later, okay? Now, spiritually, we all have one of these. I don't know about you, but mine's like, at the end, especially at the end of my life, it's going to be like rolled all the way down, you know, all the way, you know, wraps around the world two times, right? I mean, my, my sin list is real, is super long, super long. What's really cool, just again, just to just wrap this up, just to understand, is that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that at the very bottom of the statement, all right, Instead of saying how much you owe, because you know that you do owe, but at the very bottom of the statement, it says paid in full. That's what it says. Because the blood of Christ was sacrificed for you because he gave himself to pay off the death debt that you owe. And so at the very end of your life, when you become a Christian, as, as, as a Christian, and now at the very end of your life, it's today. You make that decision today. And we, sometimes this isn't just a monthly bill we get. It's like, you know, after service today, it's like, ah, I sinned. <laughs> Paid in full. Past, present, and future. Now, some of you are getting your head yourselves like, oh, that means like now that I have this credit card and it's paid in full that my mom gave me. No, it doesn't work like that. So I could just sin all I want and like buy all I want. No. Even Paul, he's going to talk about that. He's going to say, just because God's, he's, he literally says, because of God's grace, does that mean we should sin all the more? Okay, that's not how it works. You're not getting the spirit of what God has done, okay? But for now, for today, for today, you need to know that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, we all have one of these. For some of you, it just, it bothers you to no end. Like you're struggling here. The only way that this gets reconciled, gets atoned for, is through faith in Jesus Christ. And it will be paid in full. Let's bow our heads. Lord God, thank you, Father, for this morning. God, just a good morning just to be in your home. And just thank you, Father, that we are taking this Sunday, as we always do, but just to really deep dive into the powerful words of Paul through whom your spirit worked to be able to explain to us the depth, the beauty, the power, the miracle 
of the gospel. And we don't understand how everything works and how the blood of Christ was, you know, in what ways it washed us, it cleansed us. But all we need to know today, as your word says, is that all it takes is a belief, a belief. That 2,000 years ago, that there was a man, God-man, that his name is Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, who was the Christ. That he was fully God and he's fully man. That he led a perfect, sinless life. And he was crucified on the cross. And he did that out of his own volunteering, out of his own love. Because God looked at all humanity, and though there were some people that tried so hard to make it right and do it right, we could never, on our own strength, on our own will, no matter how disciplined or godly we could be, it could never, ever repay the debt of sin that we've racked up against God and against other people that we've hurt. But God, through Christ, willingly gave up his own life. He died the death, the penalty. He took the penalty that we each individually are responsible for. But he redeemed us, he delivered us, he paid, he atoned for that debt of sin so that we could be free, free, free from the guilt, free from shame, free from the penalty so that the righteousness of God, not another law, not another set of rules to follow, no, so that the true, the righteousness of God could be settled upon us. So if there's anyone here today, and maybe it's for the first time that you're hearing this, and, and even for some of you who are believers, who've been Christians for a long time, like, I didn't know. I didn't know that's what happened. I didn't know that's how it worked. I want that. I need that. I need Jesus. Just pray along with me. Father, in this moment right now, I just want to receive that gift that you have offered to me through Jesus Christ. And so I put my faith in believing in Jesus. I put my faith in believing that Jesus, he literally died on the cross. He literally shed his blood. He literally paid the off all of my debt through his own death on the cross. I receive that. I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful for your love and for your mercy to rescue me from this uncontrollable monster called sin. It's not just something I do. God, I am, I, it's, just, it's in my nature. And I confess that I'm a sinner. And I freely and thankfully and gratefully receive the gift of Christ's death on the cross so that I may be free today from the grip and control of sin and death. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Rising from the grave, I also rise with you to brand new life. Teach me and show me, God, how to follow you. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, if you could all do this in your rows as well.